This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hello, and welcome to the HR in Review podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Brand, and today we're talking about all things productivity. Today's episode is Molly Lombardi, a top industry analyst at I4CP, with extensive experience gathering and interpreting new data. Today, we explore how productivity features in today's workplace and explore solutions to surpass the current slump. Hi, Molly. Welcome. It's great to have you on the HR and Review podcast. How are you today? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Great. First of all, then, uh, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Sure. So I'm a senior research analyst at a company called I4CP, which stands for Institute for Corporate Productivity. And what we do is we really try to work with HR professionals and understand how their various strategies and policies and processes come together with technology to enable them to support businesses and really drive business success. So we work exclusively with HR practitioners. I came from the quote unquote dark side of working with HR vendors, but now I actually get to work with the people who do the work. Um, so I've been in this space for you know decades now. So it's fun when you get to put an S on the end of decades in your career. Uh, but love helping companies and individuals realize their full potential and their talent potential. Great. Thanks for that, Molly. Um, so, so in today's episode, uh, we're going to be primarily delving into I4CP's report called The Productivity Predicament, uh, and it examines the challenges of maximizing employee productivity uh, without sacrificing empathy in the workplace. Um, so to start off then, Molly, could you provide our listeners with an overview of the report uh, and its main focus? Um, you know, perhaps you could even explain what prompted the need for the report and, you know, what the main objectives are in, in conducting this research. Sure, sure. So as we've all felt, as the pandemic sort of subsided, we've tried to renormalize uh, productivity and business results and business places themselves, places of work and how organizations come together. We hear heard a lot of headlines about falling productivity, which became part of this call mm. for return to office. Um, really notable leaders like Mark Benioff of Salesforce were saying that we'd over-indexed on empathy. We had to refocus on productivity. And now we're seeing some evidence in some other recent studies about rising productivity, which is much as mystery as falling productivity mm. was. <laughs> so we really realized that organizations are struggling to define what productivity is, and we wanted to focus on where, and we realized they wanted to focus on where people were working, because it was so much easier to measure where someone was working yeah. than to measure their actual productivity. So while we did not set out in order to find a single definition for how people should define productivity for knowledge workers or anything like that, we did find that there are some leading indicators of productivity as the organization we look at as opposed to the actual business results which are really the lagging indicator. So we did this, we should really understand what was happening it was return to work actually driving productivity or was it diminishing productivity and really what could organizations look to as leading indicators for productivity and ultimately business results great i mean one of the most intriguing aspects in the report is kind of you know the disparity between how employees perceive their own productivity mm-hmm. and how leaders view their team's productivity um do you think you could kind of elaborate on this finding and, and maybe delve into a significance here Yeah, there's a graph in the report that was really compelling, and it was actually data from Microsoft. They studied over 10,000 employees and leaders, and 87% of their employees said they felt productive wherever they're working. They felt productive out of the office. They felt productive being hybrid. But just 12%, almost the exact inverse of that number, 
of leaders said they felt their team was productive. So there's this huge perception gap between whether employees are feeling like they're being productive and contributing and whether leaders feel like they're being productive and contributing. And this gap has really been part of where the lack of trust, which you found out was one of the leading indicators of productivity, this lack of trust has arisen in part from this really big gap between what people are perceiving as the most productive environment and most productive activities. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting what you said about the perception gap there, especially when you consider, you know, this whole new working world we've got with with flexible working and remote working, um, which kind of leads me to ask then, you know, the report does address the shift in work model policies, um, particularly, you know, this trend towards return to office and hybrid arrangements. Um, so how, how do you think this shift then has affected employee morale and, and overall productivity? One of the interesting things we've seen is that Productivity has always meant you're doing more with less, in a sense, right? You could get more production in the same amount of time, or it took less time to do the same activity. It's about this efficiency. And for a long time, this efficiency was rewarded to the employer, right? Hey, if we can get more of them to do more in the same amount of time for the same amount of money, it's better for us as, as individual companies. But now individuals are saying, hey, wait a minute. If I don't have to spend that time on my commute, I should get that time back for me. So sort of, again, that misalignment between who's gaining the benefits of productivity. And we also have done some additional follow-on research at I4CP that looks specifically at flexible and hybrid work. And what employers are calling hybrid and flexible work is not always what individuals and employees are defining as hybrid and, and flexible work. So leaders may be saying, hey, we're not demanding return to office. We're flexible. Just come in on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Mm. But employees don't see the clear and compelling need to spend those specific days in the office. So that sort of nod to flexible work from employers is not really being perceived as flexible at all. So employees really want to be able to say, listen, I'm going to come in on Tuesday and Wednesday next week because I have a meeting or I have something important to work on that requires face-to-face time with colleagues. And then I'm not going to come in on Thursday, but I'm going to come in next Friday. You know, So you really want that true flexibility. So leaders and employers are saying, hey, look, we're being flexible, but they aren't really being flexible in a way that's uh, sort of respecting what individual employees are looking for in their relationship with work great so you're kind of touching on like you know issues of communication right communication is really 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 key here which you know leads me again on to you mentioned earlier you know the concept of trust mm-hmm. um, and you know trust and organizational culture that they're, they're both highlighted as really pivotal factors in you know this productivity equation really um absolutely yeah so do you think you kind of it explained to our, our listeners how these elements intersect Absolutely. So one of the things we found was really telling was the fact that we saw that productivity was really thriving in or, in organizations that were had a foundation of trust. Mm. And this didn't just mean trust one direction. It meant senior leaders trusting employees and vice versa, managers trusting employees and vice versa, and teams trusting their peers among themselves. And all these together were actually an indicator of an environment that cause more productivity. So it's not just one direction. You know, we actually found that individuals were more trusting of each other, but trust between senior leaders and employees was still very low, which is really sad when you think about it. So there's really a lack of communication, but where you have that sort of omnidirectional trust Mm -hmm. and that ability to trust throughout the organization, it really does set up a, a foundation for productivity. And we also found that, you know, trust, like engagement and other conversations we've had over the years, is one of those things that takes, you know, a thousand acts to build and one act to destroy. So how do you build that consistency and that transparency? And we found these uh, areas we called manager effectiveness traits, Mm -hmm. which were things like coaching skills, goal setting, 
providing developmental feedback, which is different than just backward-looking feedback. It's feedback about how to develop people moving forward and how to build on strengths. And organizations that focus on those key manager effectiveness traits build trust and leads to productivity. Mm-hmm. So it's really that hierarchy of how do you sort of build trust every day. And part of how you build trust is by giving it, right? So we also saw trends towards autonomy, organizations with a lot of autonomy, we're building trust by saying, listen, we're going to trust you to go off and accomplish this goal. And that's how you, we will trust in you. And you can also build trust in us because we're giving you that space to go and achieve. Great. I mean, you, you touched then on um, manager effectiveness traits. Um, and I'd just love to focus on that for a little bit because I think it's such an interesting um, concept. Do you could elaborate on what, on what this means and perhaps explain a little bit about how organizations could incorporate them into their you know, leadership training programs or, or something like that? Absolutely. So one of the things about these manager effectiveness traits is they are not something that's innate that you're born with. <laughs> you know, there's something that can be taught. Yeah. Um, you know, I often call it the code of silence. You know, if you were promoted to be a manager or a people manager for the first time, you don't want to ask too many questions because you sort of want to say, well, if they promoted me, they must think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And other senior leaders go, well, I figured it out. They'll probably figure it yeah. out too, which is so silly because it's such a waste yeah. of time because these are things that can be taught. You can teach people how to co- be better coaches. You can teach people how to give better feedback and you can teach people how to receive coaching and feedback which i think is often missed within organizations yeah. you know it's one thing to have leaders that are taught and how to give it but having employees understand the gift that feedback and and coaching can be there's also making sure that you have a clear goal setting process and a clear measurement process towards those goals that we saw highly correlated with high performance organizations as well mm-hmm which is by having that process, and whether you call it OKRs or KPIs or MBOs, whatever process works for your organization, as long as there is a clear process for setting goals and measuring progress against them. Because again, that builds that transparency. It allows for more autonomy because you're agreed upon the goals and how you're going to get there, but then you leave people with some space to be creative and to accomplish things on their own. So that's one of the ways that organizations can really sort of upskill their current and upskill for the future for their leaders to be able to translate Uh, these organizational goals into what they do day to day. There was an interesting statistic as well that um, in 90 some odd percent of organizations said that they felt employees understand the goals of the organization, Mm. but only 60 some percent said that they actually were able to use those goals to prioritize their day to day work. So it was really interesting. There's this gap between, hey, I understand where my company's going, but I don't understand what that means yeah. to me every day. So that's one place where managers can really step in and translate those organizational goals into how does that prioritize what my team is doing every day. Great. I mean, you said some really interesting stats there. So, you know, I guess a really good way of thinking about how we can use this research, how we can use this data is to think about, you know, how can we navigate this this productivity, empathy tightrope? Um, so do you think you can tell our listeners a bit more about these recommendations and, you know, what organizations, companies and employers and leaders can do and, you know, the potential impact of these actions as well? Absolutely. So certainly we want to focus on the what and the how of goal achievement. So not just, you know, sort of not just accepting great numbers, so to speak, but also are you achieving our business goals in a way that is in harmony with our values and our organizational mission and our beliefs? So sort of the, the no brilliant jerks rule, some people have called it, which is you can't just hit your sales number and be a jerk about it. You know, you have to actually, fo- in organizations that focus on both the what and the how goal achievement are significantly more likely to be high performing. So again, they're not just taking the numbers, really, are you doing it in a way that's going to make a sustainable talent workforce? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, building that culture of omnidirectional trust by building transparency and setting measurement goals, um, and also really focusing on those coaching skills. So really making sure you're building that and, and the autonomy as well. So making sure you're building a culture, which is definitely a leading indicator because culture does not automatically translate to a dollar sign necessarily. But what it does, we have learned, is it has to be the foundation to be able to set up all those other goals along the way. And also to prepare for game changers like um, artificial intelligence and generative AI, which are going to revolutionize how work gets done. We'll see how and why and if exactly, but we definitely know changes. Change is going to come. <laughs> change is the only constant. So it's going to be another thing that I think is going to really shift how we do work going forward. Great. Thanks so much, Molly, for that really insightful insight into the report. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'd just like to um, remind our listeners that you can um, view the report on the hrreview.co.uk website. Um, but before we wrap up, um, I'd just love to ask you two questions that we um, we always ask our guests on the HR Review podcasts. Um, the first question is, if you could pass on one crucial lesson you've learned in your career in one minute or less, <laughs> uh, what would be your top tip for other HR pros? Yeah, this may not be exclusive to HR, but anyone entering a, a new job or a new role or, you know, starting out from school or whatever, I say, say yes, mm. which doesn't mean saying yes to everything, but say yes to things that scare you a little bit. Say yes to things that'll try, that'll try, that'll um, stretch you a bit and always be willing to put something out there and say, is this what you meant? Because I found in my career and now as a, as a more senior person, you don't always know what you want when you ask yeah. the question. <laughs> and I'd much rather be able to give someone or be shown, you know, is this it and say yes or no, or mm -hmm. a little bit more of that. Cause the worst you're going to find out is it's not that right. And so it's often really much, I found it much more beneficial to be the person in my career who as a younger person to say, here's, I gave it a try. Yes. What's your reaction as opposed to sitting there and waiting and saying, well, what do I do? What do I do? So that's my encouragement to say yes, as much as you can. No, I love that. I feel like so failure needs to be kind of um, re redesigned and failure should actually be defined as, you know, not trying. That should be, you know, the definition of failure. Absolutely. Yeah, great. So to the last question then, um, what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR over the next five to 10 years? Well, I think, you know, we talked about AI a little bit, but I think what that's going to do is actually allow and require HR leaders to manage talent inside and outside their organization much more, to have visibility into where talent resides globally and geographically, to understand what skill gaps there are, and to be able to work with public institutions and educational institutions, and really start to manage this network of talent much more broadly and globally, to understand how do we tap into and grow the talent we need to move forward. So I think really strong HR leaders are going to be, again, that that translation point between where is the business going and how do we tap into the talent, whether they're employees or future employees or past employees, through this network of talent to enable us to succeed. Great. That's really, really fantastic, Molly. It was it was great having you on the HR Review um, podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Thank you so much. We love talking about our research. So great. thanks again, Molly. Bye. Bye. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.